Well, thanks, Sandy, for your kind words of welcome. It's nice to be back with you today. Um, I really enjoyed the men's conference I was at here a few weeks ago, and the men did a terrific job in hosting that and organizing that and putting it on. It's great to see people from all over the place here. And what an amazing turnout. So, it's a joy for me to be back again, and uh, what, in, in the visits that I've made, I've been trying to go through the life of Peter, and I want to look at another little incident in his life this morning. So Matthew 18 is where the passage is found, Matthew 18, and we'll read together from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Matthew 18, 21 Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times, or maybe a better translation is seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, just a prayer before we look at this passage together, please. Lord, as we turn our thoughts to um, this section of Scripture, we pray for your help. We pray that you'll sharpen our minds so that we'll be able to think clearly. We pray that you'll give us receptive hearts because the truth is we're prone to hold grudges. And we're prone, Lord, to unforgiveness. So not only give us sharp minds that can think clearly, but we pray that you'll give us receptive hearts.
hearts that will be willing not just to hear, but to do what it is you are saying to us. So we pray this in our Saviour's name. Amen. So Jesus is the great team builder. He is putting together a team that will serve him, that will represent him when he returns to heaven. These uh, disciples that, that have been following him and spending time with him will lay the foundations of the church. And so they're a very unique group of men, these twelve disciples. And, and Jesus knew that enjoying wholesome, loving relationships uh, would be one of the greatest challenges that they would face as a group of individuals. Enjoying wholesome and loving and harmonious relationships was one of the biggest challenges that they would face. Uh, it, it, it's already been a, a, an issue here in Matthew 18. We're told that uh, they had been asking Jesus which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven a little bit earlier in the chapter. That was the big topic of discussion. W- which of us is the most important? Who's, who's the top dog in this group of individuals? And so the tensions were beginning to already arise within this group of disciples as they debated and discussed which of them was the greatest. Um, And if you take a look at the Christian church today, you will see that uh, one of the main things that plagues the Christian church, one of the main things that mars its testimony is broken relationships. Relationships that break down amongst Christians, where Christians no longer speak to each other, where Christians avoid each other, where Christians take the huff with each other, and where there's just a lack of forgiveness. Now, uh, the associate pastor of the church that I serve, so I was the lead pastor of a church in Canada for a number of years, and our associate pastor was a missionary with um, the Africa Inland Missionary Society. For around eight years he served in, in Africa, and he told me when he came back to be our associate pastor that one of the greatest challenges on the mission field is the breakdown of relationships between missionaries. That's one of the biggest challenges that is faced on the mission field. Not the challenge of taking the gospel to the people that they've been sent to reach or the people that they've become, that they live amongst. The biggest challenge is the breakdown of relationships uh, between missionaries. And I think if you're honest and you've any experience of church life, you'll know that to be true. Uh, relationships break down all over the place and we don't seem to be very good at mending them what we do is we fall out but we never fall in again we fall out and we go our separate ways and we do our own thing and uh, these 12 men as I said to you will represent Jesus they'll lay the foundations of the Christian church and it's imperative absolutely imperative that they learn how to maintain good relationships absolutely imperative and right at the heart of healthy relationships 
is this key ingredient of forgiveness. Don't you think that lies right at the heart of healthy relationships? It's interesting, uh, if you do some reading on this subject, it's really interesting to notice that there's, there hasn't, up until recent times, in more recent times this has changed, but up until recent times the whole focus was on the forgiveness of God, God's forgiveness of us. But it's not until recent times that actually you've begun, we've begun to see books addressing the subject of person-to-person forgiveness. Person-to-person forgiveness. But the truth is, we do hurt each other. We do offend each other. Uh, If you think that you won't be ticked off by other Christians, you are mistaken. The truth is that we are fallen creatures. We will disappoint each other. And we need to learn how to deal with that in a God-glorifying way. The answer is not to take the huff. The answer is not to clear off and never come back. The answer is to deal with the grievance somehow in a God glorifying way. Now there are three things that I want to try and camp on in this passage that I've read to you. They're very simple. Uh, You wouldn't need to be a genius to work this out. I'm a really simple person so simple things make sense to me. There's a question that Peter asks Jesus. So that's the first point. Let's just look at the question. Then there's an answer. Jesus gives him an answer. And then finally there's a story. So those are the three points. A question, an answer, and a story. So first of all, the question. Verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks the question, How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? That's the question. So a couple of things that I want to try and pick up on in relation to that. First of all, I want you to think with me about what forgiveness is. Because that's what Peter is asking. So how many times do you want me to forgive these thugs that offend me and abuse me and hurt me? How many times do you want me to forgive these people that, that treat me like this? And uh, I want to wrestle with the question, first of all, what is forgiveness? That's the first thing that I want to wrestle with. Because that's the question that Peter is asking. How many times do you want me to forgive these people? So what does it mean to forgive someone? Well, let me just give you a bunch of things that I've gathered up over the years and I've kind of uh, put into this sermon. What is forgiveness? First of all, forgiveness is cancelling a debt that is owed to you. That's the first thing that forgiveness is. Someone has hurt you, they have said something, they have done something, they have wounded you, they have offended you. You could make them pay but you choose not to. You let it go, you choose not to tell anyone about what they have done, you choose not to hold any ill will towards that other person, either emotionally or behaviorally. You don't harbor a grudge, you choose to keep no record of wrongs. So the first thing, forgiveness is cancelling a debt that is owed to you. Secondly, forgiveness is surrender to the Lordship of Christ. When you forgive someone, you overcome the control that the offense which you have suffered has over you. So if you don't forgive someone and you become bitter towards them, that bitterness controls you. 
They control you. What they did to you controls you. You're not under the lordship of Christ. You're under the lordship of someone else's offense. Jesus is not your Lord functionally or practically. Because the way you respond, the way you feel, and the way you behave is being dictated by what they did to you. So what they did to you is is dictating how you feel, how you behave, and how you respond. Not Jesus. Thirdly, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. Romans 12:19 God says vengeance is mine I will repay saith the Lord You're not saying I am sanctioning the injustice that has been done You're just saying I'm going to leave that in God's hands to deal with That's all you're saying when you forgive You're not saying uh, this injustice was right you're simply saying it was wrong but I'm going to leave God to deal with it uh, fourthly forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hands so ultimately you leave it in God's hands forgiveness is giving the gift of relief to yourself to release the anger the resentment, the bitterness that will crush your emotions You decide that you're going to move on. You're going to let go of at least some of the anxiety that those haunting memories have caused you. Otherwise, if you don't forgive, and this is my experience as a pastor for many years. My experience is when people don't forgive, they're tortured and they become embittered. And somehow they need to take the hook out of themselves and let it go so that they can move on with their lives. Forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. You know that you have forgiven someone when your hope is that they will come to the Lord Jesus and you pray that their future will be better than their past. You know that you have forgiven when you don't have to tell others about what these people did to you. Apart from criminal offence, which of course needs to be reported. Seventhly, forgiveness is an ongoing process, isn't it? You may forgive them once, but you may need to forgive them again because they may do it again. Or because the old wounds that you have suffered might begin to bleed again. So you'll not just forgive once, but you need to forgive again and again and again. You need to go on forgiving. Because the old wounds, the hurts that you've suffered, as you see them, as you see how successful they have been in a year's time, those old wounds, those old hurts might open up and they might bleed again. And you'll need to forgive again. So forgiveness is a process. Seven things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not denying that sin occurred or diminishing the evil of what happened. Nothing happened. I cannot remember it. That was in the past. No, it did happen. It was horrible. It should never have happened. God punished his son for it because it could not go unpunished. Forgiveness is not denial. Secondly, forgiveness is not pardon. 
Forgiveness is not to grant pardon. You are absolved of all responsibility for what you did. Forgiveness is not to grant pardon to the offender. The only person who can ultimately grant pardon to any offender is God. The only person who could ultimately release them from the guilt of their offence is God. I find this so liberating because I've struggled with forgiveness over the years. So a lady in my congregation, her son was a policeman. She walked, he was walking down the street. He was walking uh, d- down the street and, and uh, a man dressed as a woman came up behind him and shot him at point blank range and uh, he was instantly killed. Now, uh, so I'm, I'm the minister of the church that so this mother is a member of and she never got over it. And uh, she really wrestled with it. And, and I, I guess the big question that I wrestled with was... Um, You know, how do you forgive someone that's unrepentant? And I think it's helpful for me to see that there's a difference between forgiveness and pardon. And you're not absolving someone of the responsibility. You're simply letting it go. You're handing it over to God. You're forgiving them in your heart so that you don't carry around the bitterness and the pain of that. Forgiveness is not covering up sins committed against us. So I told a lady once whose husband beat her with a golf club that she needed to forgive her husband and phone the police. Forgiveness is not covering up sins committed against us. I cannot forgive him and phone the police. You can forgive him and phone the police. You can forgive him and watch him go to jail. We must not cover up the sin of others. We cannot and we must not enable the addict, the thief or the abuser. What they did is wrong and it was a criminal offence and it needs to be dealt with properly. But we can't carry the pain of that and, and the hurt of that around in our hearts forever. Fourthly, forgiveness is not a response to an apology. So we don't hold on to unforgiveness until someone comes up to us and says, I'm sorry. They may never say that they are sorry. They may never be sorry. They may die without apologizing. They may may move away. We may never see them again. And we cannot allow what they did to us to embitter us forever. Nothing happened. I cannot remember it. That, That is not the answer. Forgiveness... Uh, is not a response to an apology. Forgiveness is not forgetting the sin. God doesn't forget about it. God doesn't forget anything. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God chooses not to remember our sin in the sense that he does not define us by our sin, but by the righteousness of Christ. Here's another interesting point about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not trust. Trust is built slowly, but it's lost quickly. A husband has an affair. He says he is sorry. He means it. He lives it. And his wife forgives him. But they don't pick up where they left off. It takes years to build trust again. Because forgiveness is not trust. They are two different things. Trust needs to be rebuilt. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. 
takes one person to repent. It takes one person to forgive. But it takes two people to reconcile, doesn't it? All you can do is what you can do. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's an invitation to reconciliation. It's an openness to reconciliation. It's doing as much as you can do to live at peace with all men. So Peter is asking this simple question. How many times do you want me to do this for these people who keep offending me and hurting me with their words? I wonder if you feel a bit like Peter and you're asking the same question. How many times, Lord, do you want me to forgive my husband? How many times do you want me to forgive my wife? How many times do you want me to forgive those people at work? How many times do you want me to forgive people that hurt me, Lord? So that's the first thing. That's what he's asking. How many times do you want me to let this go? How many times do you want me to hand this over to you? How many times do you want me to make sure that I am not carrying any bitterness in my heart in regard to what happened to me? How many times do you want me to do that? It's a fair question, isn't it? Secondly, very quickly in relation to the, to the question, why is Peter asking this question? That's a really important issue. Why is Peter asking this question? Well, uh, there's a ton of things that I could say about this, but let me just quickly summarize it because I'm taking far too long. But here's the thing. You think about Peter for one minute. He had the kind of personality that would attract criticism. The night that he, Jesus came walking to them on the water and he swung his legs out over the side of the boat and he started to walk on the water and the rest of them stayed in the boat and G- Peter's walking out to Jesus and then he begins to sink and then eventually Jesus lifts him out of the water and they get back into the boat. I mean, can't you hear the criticism in the aftermath of that? Do you have to be such a show-off, Peter? Do you always have to be the center of attention? Couldn't you just have stayed in the boat like the rest of us? I mean, do you really need to be the showman? Can you hear the criticism that Peter would have received as, uh, in the aftermath of, of, of that event? Remember that incident where uh, Jesus told Peter that he would be given the keys of the kingdom? And, and in the aftermath of that, Caesarea Philippi, in the aftermath of that, this whole discussion about which of them is the most important disciple erupts. Oh, so you think you're the most important because you've got the keys of the kingdom. So you think that you are the key person. You think that you are Mr. Important all of a sudden. Remember the night of the transfiguration, the incident I looked at the last time I was here? I mean, can you hear James and John saying to him when they came back down the meeting mountain, So Peter, you are going to build a shelter for Moses and Elijah? And you really thought that they would want to stay on the top of a mountain for the rest of their lives? And you really thought that they would want to stay in a shelter that you could build them rather than go back to heaven from where they had come? I mean, really, Peter? Don't you think that Peter had the kind of personality that would attract criticism? Because he was very outspoken. He was very impulsive. Often his mouth was in action before the cogs of his brain had been fully engaged. And I think people would have heaped criticism on him. And I think he was just a target for criticism. How many times do you want me uh, to forgive 
he is asking Jesus. Now, it's interesting that he is prepared to forgive seven times. Did you know that Jewish rabbi said you should forgive three times? And on the fourth occasion there should be no forgiveness. But Peter's not just willing to forgive three times or four times. He's, forgive, he's, he's prepared to forgive seven times. Seven times. Uh, he is prepared to forgive. How many times would you forgive someone? Some of us find it difficult to forgive people even once. And even after we have claimed to forgive them, you know, we can still communicate to them, I haven't really forgotten that, you know. We can still give them a little bit of the cold shoulder. We can still huff a little bit, be a little, a little distant, a little cool with them, even though we talk about having forgiven them. But we haven't really in our hearts. King Louis Twelfth of France uh, once said, Nothing smells so sweet as the dead body of your enemy. Forgiveness. How many times would you forgive? It's interesting to read a while back of George Wishart, who was one of John Knox's heroes, and he was being burned at the stake at Montrose. Um, or he was a teacher of New Testament Greek at Montrose and he was condemned to death for his high view of scripture and he was burnt at the stake at St. Andrews and before they tied him to the stake he prayed that God would forgive those who condemned him the hangman who put the noose around his neck sat upon his knees and said sir I pray you to forgive me for I am not guilty of your death And uh, George Wishart answered, come hither to me, he said. And when he had come to him, he kissed him on the cheek and he said, here is a token of my forgiveness. Now go and do your office. How many of us would forgive in, in those kinds of circumstances? People have hurt you, people have hurt me, and it's not easy to forgive, but we must be prepared to forgive. So the question... How many times do you want me to forgive Jesus? These guys, they're constantly criticizing me. They are constantly making fun of me. I am always the butt of their jokes. They abuse me. How many times do you want me to forgive those guys? That's the question. It's a real question. It's not a theoretical question. It's a real question from the heart of a man who's been hurt. And who knows what it is to be hurt. Secondly then, the answer. So Jesus says to Peter, he says, I want you to forgive not seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety, if my maths are right. But it's a turn of phrase, it's a figure of speech. Uh, Jesus isn't saying to Peter okay Peter and, and when you get to 490 then you can stop he's saying Peter I want you to forgive and forgive and forgive see forgiveness is not a matter of arithmetic it's an attitude of heart and the reason that we are commanded to go on forgiving is because A, as I said earlier, the wounds that we suffered might continue to bleed or the person might hurt us again. So forgiveness is not something that we do as a one-off. It's something that we've got to work at and continue to work at. It's ongoing obedience. We cannot afford to become bitter in our spirit as Christians. We must be forgiving. 
It's interesting uh, to read a while ago about David Livingston. He went to Africa and he was planning to bring his wife later, uh, after he had built a suitable home for her to live in and so on. Um, But people started to slander him on the mission field and at home. And they said, they said the reason he hasn't brought his wife to Africa is because they've got a defective relationship. Their relationship isn't good. That's the reason that he's left her at home. He became troubled by these rumors that were circulating that he sent for her and he brought her prematurely to Africa. And she caught an infection and died. And in human terms, their slander had cost him his wife. He later wrote to a friend and he said, many, many years later, he said, the memory of their slander often boils up. Please pray that I might be characterized by more of the Spirit of Christ, that I might forgive them even as I am forgiven. So that's the answer. Don't just forgive once, Peter. Even though they've hurt you, criticized you, abused you, don't just forgive them once. You must keep on forgiving them again and again and again. Well, secondly, the example that Jesus set. It's not easy to forgive again and again, is it? But Jesus didn't just talk this, Jesus lived this, when you think about it. It's, it if you think about the Lord Jesus... The religious leaders hounded him from one place to another. They sent delegations to catch him out. They watched for every opportunity uh, to arrest him. Eventually they seized him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They concocted a series of false allegations against him. He's a troublemaker. He's setting himself up as the king of Israel. He was handed over to the Romans who scourged him. So that his visage was marred more than any man. They dragged him through the streets with a cross on his shoulders. The crowd sneered at him. The religious leaders watched with their smug, satisfied faces. They nailed him to a cross. They raised him between heaven and earth as though he were worthless. In agony he pushed himself up on the cross so that he could fill his lungs with air. They sneered at him, they made jokes about him, they played games for his clothing. They said, look, here's the one that said he would destroy the temple in three days and rebuild it again. He hangs there on the cross, looking down on the spiteful religious leaders and he prays, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they are doing. Some people sometimes try to argue we shouldn't forgive Until someone is repentant. There's not much repentance around the the base of the cross, is there? There's not many people, many of the religious leaders crying in repentance. Yet he prays, Father, forgive them. He could have said, I forgive you. But that would have been meaningless to them. Instead, he prays that his Father will forgive them. And interestingly, it's a prayer that was answered. Acts 6 verse 7, many of the priests came to believe that Jesus was the Christ in the early days of the church. So the point I am making to you is this, Jesus did more than talk the talk. Jesus walked the walk. 
He didn't just say to Peter, forgive 70 times 7 when your other disciples abuse you and criticize you and mock you and make fun of you. Don't just forgive once, but go on forgiving. Jesus didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He lived it out. He hung on a cross and he prayed for his enemies, his enemies that, that his father would forgive them. Living out forgiveness. Remember the story of Corrie ten Boom? Do you remember that story? Remember how her and her sister Betsy died in Betsy died in Ravensbrück concentration camp. This is what she writes: It was at the church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS guard that stood at the shower room door at the processing centre in Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had saw since that time. Suddenly, she says. It all came flooding back, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pained face. And here he was coming up to me, beaming and bowing, how grateful I am to see you frowling. And and to think, he says, that God has washed away all my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people of Bloomingdale, stood frozen with my hand by my side, angry and vengeful thoughts boiled up within me as I saw his sin. I pray, Lord Jesus, you died for me. Forgive forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile and I tried to raise my hand to shake his, but it was frozen. I felt nothing, not even the slightest spark of warmth. So again I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. And into my heart sprang love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Peter, don't just forgive once, but go on forgiving. The last thing is the story, and with this I'll be finished. A couple of things about the story. The story is of a king who forgives one of his servants who owes him a ton of money. The servant then leaves the king's courts and goes out and he finds another servant that owes him a fiver. And he takes the servant that owes him a fiver and pushes him up by the lapels against the wall and says, pay me that fiver. And he can't pay and he doesn't pay so he has him thrown into jail until his family gather up the money and he does pay. Two quick things. First of all, forgiveness granted. What an amazingly privileged servant this was to find himself before the king owing a a huge amount of money. I mean, just in today's terms, millions of pounds. He'd never be able to pay it. Never. He says to the king, please let me, please be merciful to, to me until I pay it. He'd never pay it. Never ever will he pay it. He can't pay it. It's more than he can pay. Even if he were to work all his life, he could never pay off this debt. And the king says, okay, I'll I'll, I'll forgive you. And he he just wipes the slate clean. He just says, everything is gone. Everything is absolutely gone. And of course, the moral of the story, the lesson in the story is very simple. God has forgiven me every sin I ever committed. 
past, present and future. It's, it's, the slate's been wiped clean. God holds nothing against me. Nothing against my account. It's been, the slate has been wiped clean. Complete forgiveness in Christ. It's, like, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. The forgiveness of God. You know, Martin Luther was, was prone to bouts of depression. One night he was lost in a, in a sea of depression. He's lying in his bed and he has this dream. And the devil comes to the end of his bed and starts to write a list of all his sins. One after another. And, and Luther squirming in bed as he, as he watches this list of sins being drawn by the, the devil. The, you're guilty of this, you're guilty of But then as his dream continues... Another hand comes, a blood-stained hand, a nail-pierced hand, and writes above this list, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's sin, Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then blood flows from that hand, and it makes that list of sins completely illegible. can't be read. And, And that's the amazing thing, as I stand in front of you, I have nothing to offer God, nothing. I've spent my life in Christian work and all of it probably largely done through selfish motivation. Even the best that I can do falls short of God's standard. Filthy rags in His sight. But the amazing thing is God has forgiven me from, for every sin. Forgiveness has been granted. But here's the second thing. In this story forgiveness is denied. So the servant goes out, he's been forgiven, huge amount of debt, goes out, finds another servant, holds him a fiver, puts him against the wall, pay me, pay me what you owe me. And the guy can't pay, and he doesn't pay, and he won't pay, and he's thrown into prison until his family can gather up what, what he's owed, fiver. Poor family can't even gather that much up. But the king hears about his actions and calls him back, and has him thrown into prison. The guy that he had forgiven all of this debt. He has him brought back to the palace and thrown into prison. And the issue here is not that you can lose your salvation. That's not what the story is about. This story is about the forgiven forgive. And if you don't forgive, you might find out when you get there that you've never been forgiven. Because how can you be forgiven this huge amount of debt? This, this incredible amount of sin. God wipes the slate clean. Yet someone rubs me up the wrong way and I hold a grudge for a year. That doesn't add up. The forgiven forgive. That's the point of this story. The forgiven forgive. When, when you realize, when I realize what God has done for me, how much God has forgiven me... I can't hold a grudge against you for some petty name calling. Peter, did you have to be a show off? When I realize that God has forgiven me for the filth of my sin, I realize that I have to forgive others, forgive even as I have been forgiven. I mean, let's be honest here this morning. I, I wouldn't want my thoughts over this past week projected on a screen on this TV for you folks all to read. And you wouldn't want... Uh, you wouldn't want your thoughts projected onto that screen. You wouldn't want a blow-by-blow account of everything that you've done projected onto that screen throughout this last week, would you? I certainly wouldn't. I haven't been as patient as I should be as I'm driving along the road. That's the truth. 
But, but the amazing thing is, God has forgiven me. So how can I withhold forgiveness to others? And, and that's the challenge of this great passage. So the question, how many times do you want me to forgive these thugs that keep abusing me? The answer, what if I did it seven times, Jesus? Would that be enough? The answer, no, it wouldn't be enough. You've got to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, just as you've been forgiven, Peter. And the story, what an amazing story. Look at what you've been forgiven. How can you go out and hold some poor guy that owes you a fiver to ransom? You've got to be prepared to show to others, communicate to others, reflect to others the kind of forgiveness that you have received. And you know, this message is easier preached than it is lived. That's the truth. So may God help all of us, the speaker included. Thank you so much.